0: It's a real professional operation we got here, bro. I'm telling you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We just started. Like, we started, this is, I think, the fifth show. Six. This is six, already. Yeah. We're getting better. We're getting a little better each week. <laughs> so. It's
1: all good. It's all you can hope for, right? <laughs> exactly. I got to take. Be sure you silence your uh, phones and computers. Oh, yeah. So we don't have Do
0: um, that. things going off. They can go off. I don't care. You know I don't care about that stuff. I, I, know, I, you I know you do. I would prefer them not going oh, off. No. Wait till I tell you in like three weeks that I want to start patching phone calls through to the show.
1: No. <laughs> oh, boy. Mike doesn't,
0: Mike doesn't know the plan yet, but that's definitely a thing that's going to happen.
1: Uh, All right. Man. Yep. Bye. Where are they going? Home. Kobe, Sue, so and Russell was canceled.
0: S- why? Is it outdoors?
1: Yeah, this morning he was so bad. It's so weird. <laughs> I told him, Kobe, do better. No. I swear to God. Like Twitter? Yeah. He told him, well, him like to do Twitter? better. Is that a Twitter thing? Yeah. I just told him to do better. He was so bad this morning.
0: Like when somebody posts something that's wrong and somebody corrects them and they're like, do better. You never seen that before?
1: No. But when he was <laughs> leaving, I was like, Kobe, come give me a hug. So give me a hug and I looked at him and I said, do better. <laughs> what would he do? How old is he? I don't think. Four. I no know what you're talking about. He's <laughs> like, better. what does better mean? What do you want me to do? Oh, All right, Dad. Yes. Talk to you later.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Take me to Disney World. <laughs> Kiss my ass.
1: How are you into the city? Rail? You drove. No, I drove, man. How was it? It
0: was he perfect,
1: f- actually. flew in.
2: Yeah. No You're not issue. That, I don't realize, Philadelphia's really. Philadelphia is really not that far. 90 minutes or not even? It took me, yeah, about 90 minutes. I see. Bang
1: out some phone calls.
2: Yep. Called, that's the thing that's like nice about ride.
1: like commuting every so often. It's like yeah. you haven't had a long time, like a long time, a long time. You don't get that at home or even in the office.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I looked forward to it. Sometimes I take the train back and forth. I don't even get out of the train. (laughs) I just want, I just want to be, (laughs) I just want to be alone. I just ride the train. You gave Jason homework. Made him watch 10. I fucking boycotted that movie. I'm saving it though. You boycotted it? I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I love Christopher Nolan. It did feel like homework. I love Christopher Nolan. Oh,
2: can you rewind that? I didn't catch that.
0: (laughs) Dude, I have no idea what's going on in this movie. I got a bones pick with Chris Nolan. Yeah. Me too. I I think he's doing this on purpose now at this point. I haven't even seen the movie. Wait, what was the what was the other one? What do you mean the other one? His other ones? No, what was the one that was also a mind Oh, Inception. Inception. Interstellar. I still couldn't explain Inception. I love love Inception. Interstellar was the dad. That was McConaughey. And then he was like the daughter ages while he's gone. Yeah, it
1: was such I love that movie. I saw it on an airplane.
0: Inception? Yeah.
1: No, Interstellar. Interstellar. Is I that a Dolan fan
0: too? Yeah,
1: because it got I th- I kinda think some people gave it bad reviews or whatever, so I, I I skipped it, but I saw it on an airplane and I was like blown away. Probably because my expectations were so low, but I really like that movie.
0: Probably because you were on an airplane and the alternative was like staring you at know, staring at your lap.
1: Movies are like 25% better on the airplane. I've like, I don't think I've ever really? I've ever watched pro- a movie. It's
0: because you're focused. Exactly. That's I've, it. I've, nothing n- else to do. I've never yeah.
1: watched a movie on an airplane and not had a good time. Never. Really? I love movie airplanes.
0: Yeah, airplane movies,
1: airplane movies. <laughs> but no, because that's the point. Like at home, HBO Max is nice, but you're on your couch, Dude, you're just checking awesome. your phone. That's why I love going to the movie it's theaters,
2: no doubt. Because even though it's a dying, because you can't but.
1: be an asshole and have your phone open yeah. with the with the light, and everybody's trying to watch. The experience is better, so much better.
0: I have to rewind movies because I have my laptop in front of me when I'm watching right. them. <laughs>
1: it's
0: Not like, even a phone. I did that like yesterday. F- computer. I did that yesterday with with, oh. with Loki.
1: I rewound it like a few times. I was like, oh, I, I just zoned out.
0: I can't watch that show. I tried.
1: It, it got bad.
0: It never got good. We got bad. Yeah, when it was started it good? slow for me. I liked that uh,
1: episode too with Owen Wilson.
0: It started bad and then got worse. Hold on which
1: show is this? Loki, a Disney show, isn't that good? All right. <laughs> We're in business. John is our George Lucas. Welcome
0: to the compound and friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. How do hedge funds invest outside the market without touching Bitcoin or meme stocks? They invest in blue chip art, an overlooked asset class that is expected to grow by over $900 in the next five years. Contemporary art prices rose 14% per year from 1995 through 2020. So it's no surprise that over half of ultra high net worth investors allocate over 10% of their portfolio to art. Thanks to masterworks.io. You can invest in multi-million dollar works by artists like Banksy and Warhol for a fraction of the entry price. Both Michael and our guest from week one, Packy McCormick, have already invested in art on the Masterworks.io platform. We've partnered with Masterworks to let the Compound and Friends listeners skip their wait list by going to Masterworks.io slash compound today. Welcome back to The Compound and Friends. My name is Downtown Josh Brown, here with Michael Batnick as always. Duncan is in the house, John's in the house, and our friend Jason Snipe from Odyssey Advisors. Not Odyssey Partners, Odyssey Advisors. You got it, man. All right. uh, We're so happy to have you here today. We have a ton of stuff we're going to get into today. Uh, We're going to do some economic stuff. We're going to do some financial advisor, biz, insider stuff. We're going to talk about retail investors, so much more. We'll get into some Knicks and uh, NBA stuff, and uh, hopefully, you guys have as much fun listening as we have recording the show each week. Thank you guys so much for all the comments, all the five star ratings. If you haven't done that yet, I don't really know what your story is. Like, are you so busy? Give us a give us a rating, give us a review. It goes a long way on the podcast apps. Uh, Jason drove here from Philadelphia. Yes sir. Awesome. How many times did you have to stop? No traffic whatsoever. No traffic, no stops. Appreciate you giving me the opportunity for some alone time. Dude. You know what I mean? So what, so what did you do? Who did you talk to? Were the you wrong in radio shows. <laughs> <laughs> did you call the fan?
1: Long time listener, first time caller.
0: That's right. <laughs> Mike listens to podcasts when he's commute. You right? Yeah. Okay. That's I set good, up, man. I set up, I, like up that. I set up phone calls and I find the time flies. Really? So, yeah. You so you organize even your drives, alone time. I I used to do a double commute and uh, I I guess let's first, let's set this up. You're on fast money, right? You got it. So I was doing half fast money, halftime report. And prior to the pandemic, I was doing two commutes a day each way. Wow. So I had to set my day up that way. Okay. So I I so I would like take a train into Manhattan, work for two hours, then get into a car service, go to New Jersey, then do the show. Get back in the car service, come back to Manhattan, then go back to Long Island. So I do that. <laughs> Mike, st- Mike will tell you, I'm not exaggerating that was a lot. I think I was doing that three days a week, but I don't do that anymore. I paid my dues. Um, <laughs> okay. so and and in pandemic so America, for me. Yeah, okay. we, c- we could do TV from anywhere. Uh, all right, let's get into this first, let's get into this first thing, because I thought this was really interesting. Retail investors power the world. There's a Wall Street Journal article to that effect. And basically record cash inflows. Individual investors plowed $28 billion into the U.S. stock market just in June uh, alone. And that seems to just keep going and going and going. What would you guys take away from this?
2: I mean, my thoughts are, man, it's the environment. This is an environment. Rates are super low. Uh, people are home. They have nothing else to do. Still. Still. 15 months later. Still. Yeah. We're talking about returning people to work in the fourth quarter of this year. All right, so twenty months, mm. dude, makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's great for the market. I love it.
0: Ten million new brokerage accounts opened in the first half of this year. There were ten million in all of twenty twenty. So if you yeah, thought the I, meme I stock, thought, if you thought the meme stock thing was coming to an end, it I, might be I just thought, starting.
1: I thought twenty twenty was the year of the retail investor, but apparently it's twenty twenty one. I'm curious to hear why do you love it because I feel like that's that's a take that's not so common.
2: So I love it in terms of just engagement, right? So even even talking to people, talking to family, cousins uncles, people who I went to school with that had no interest in this six months ago, 18 months ago. I love it from that perspective. There's other issues
0: I understand, but for me, that's what I like. What do they? What's the first thing they ask you about or tell you about probably a trade they're doing? Right. Okay. What What is AMC? <laughs> Why is it going down? Why is it soaring? What is this stock I just put $50,000 into? <laughs> Can you explain what is an option?
1: You know what this is? Right? You know what this is disrupted though? The shoeshine boy indicator. Remember, uh, I did a post in in June of 2020. I was in my office and literally my plumber came into my office and he saw that I had some charts on my screen. And he said, you trade? So I just said to him, I said, all right, what do you got? Show me, show me your phone. So he took out his phone and uh, he goes, what do you say? I have $100,000 in the market and I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. It was something along those lines.
0: He now has a million. And it was...
1: (laughs) all the yeah, exactly still, still no clue <laughs> he he bought he bought kodak like
2: really and so
1: so but, but my point okay. is my point is at any other prior point in history a professional investor would have seen that and been like i'm out i'm yeah, going yeah. to cash right that was like
0: it doesn't work anymore it was a year
1: ago it was like 40% ago
0: you know why it doesn't work because when you have 10 million new brokerage accounts opened everyone's a shoe shine boy And everyone yeah. right yeah. like if the indicator is everywhere it's not the indicator anymore right. Um,
1: so what's interesting is that these people like, yeah, some of them are just purely speculating gambling, but a lot of them are doing real work and they're finding new stocks. Like for example, uh, the journal was saying that individual investors in the last two weeks sent these stocks soaring. I've never heard of these stocks. Maybe you guys have Alfie, Marin software, Iconics Corp soaring hundred percent more intraday. Have you guys heard of these stocks? Never, never
2: heard of them in <laughs> my life. Never. No idea.
1: So the thing like, it's so quick, like Robinhood has become like tick where the the speed at which information travels, yeah, we had message boards in the 90s. I wasn't around then uh, to be trading, but it's not like
0: this. This is the holy shit stat. Um, strategists with Bank of America estimate that if the pace of inflows continues at the same clip for the remainder of the year, equity funds will take in more money in 2021 than in the previous 20 years combined. John, throw That's this chart insane. up. That's insane. It's nuts, right? I mean, Do we have that? that gr- no,
1: but the question is like, where is I where is this money coming from? Right.
0: I don't understand. Well, I think some some comes from the bond market, although there have been bond but, market inflows too. But bond markets are getting all tons of inflows. Well, it's coming from the Fed.
1: But <laughs> what does that mean though?
0: Like the money supply exploded. It has to go somewhere. It's not gonna go in garbage bags. Like it's not gonna go under, under the mattress. It has to go somewhere. People are people were made liquid and they're doing something with it. I know, but but these numbers are just That's gigantic, insane. though.
2: Um, That's a powerful number. But now it's
0: not all going to Robinhood. And I think this is like maybe a, an important point. So while that, so Robinhood is $80 billion in assets, which is a lot, right, for a firm that was started a few years ago. Um, but it's also $5.4 trillion still parked in funds that are index, ETFs or index funds. It's not like all of the money coming into the market is speculation. And I think I heard you and Ben talking about this. Like Robinhood's impressive, but Vanguard is now over seven and a half trillion or something. Yeah. So it's not, Easy. it's hard to say like retail investors are doing this or retail investors are doing that. They're doing a lot. Yeah.
1: They're doing all that. And, yeah. and I think that there's also people that are um, putting the, the bulk of their money every two weeks in their 401k into these index funds and also having a lot of fun playing the stock market on the side. No like doubt. Like there's people that are doing both. What's how do you
2: how do you guys think it's affecting the industry as a whole?
0: I don't know. I feel like it's so early, it's it's hard to tell. And a right. lot of it's going where it was already going. Like BlackRock and Vanguard just keep getting bigger. Right. Um
1: Well, I I think that these people are, I don't know if they're impacting the industry, but certain parts of the industry they are. Like what they're doing with some of these meme stocks and targeting the short sellers, like the game, if you were playing that game, this is a game changer. Like there's no doubt about know. it. Like you can't, small you can't, so let me ask yeah. you, you, can't you a different be, question. You can't go on stage and be vocal yeah. with your shorts the way that you used to. So go ahead. Yeah.
2: How do you think it's affecting or impacting the future of advice?
0: Mm. These are not advised people. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But maybe they would have been at some point. Or they someday will be You got the fun it. is over. So right.
1: that's, to me, that's the biggest question is if you enter the market through the prism of, okay, this is a casino, can you unlearn that behavior? And I think you can. Mm. But mm. it's gonna be a long time before we know the answer to that question.
0: What yeah. was your what was your first experience trading or were you trading or investing when you first like got involved? Investing. But is that sure. because of your profession? Yeah. I think it was just the way we grew up in the business. Yeah, and the profession, of course. Absolutely. Right. So I so you did not start off in the advisory profession. You started <gasps> so, off trading. Yeah,
1: so I started trading. Uh like I remember Your own personal account. Yeah, one time. Okay. I was trading options. I was trading. Dude, Mike kept a trading journal. I did. I and did. And really? he saved and he saved it. It's hilarious. It's amazing. It's, it's so thank God I did that. And the reason why I did that, I can't remember why. That's the awesome. But what man. it did was it, it made me be accountable to myself. Yeah. Because <laughs> I couldn't like you can't. I, it's the best way to learn. You man. Could, every, it's easy to bullshit yourself. It's really easy. It's actually hard to be honest with yourself. Right. But you did you do it for that reason or just turned into? It you? turned into oh, that. Oh, this is it, a good tool. It, it turned into that, and I was going through my notes. Like updating my priors and what I wrote down like six months previously, it always looked silly. Every everything I wrote looked really silly. It's humbling, man, um, but I was having fun. I, I started trading I think in like 2010. I had, I had a temp yeah. job at Citibank, Citi and the first thing that I bought was FAZ, the triple levered inverse bank ETF, because <laughs> I, I. I so it's. I was shorting the banks. A lot of people
0: start with like two shares of Disney. I was shorting. I was shorting. <laughs> I
1: was shorting the banks with leverage. leverage after yeah. they after they fell ninety percent, and the move was by FAS the, the triple bull, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just taking bathroom breaks, going on my phone, and uh, just, what was
0: Citigroup paying you to do? <laughs> well, dude, <laughs> like, don't. Yeah, dude. That's a good question. On,
1: I was. Actually, it's funny. I was telling the story today. I was, I was, the jackass who was looking at compliance videos. And like making sure that the, the videos were appropriate. I don't know. It was, it was the worst thing ever. You were <laughs> in compliance, <laughs> trading the FAC. <laughs> <laughs> on bathroom breaks. You know, I never put the irony of that together. I don't know if that was I don't know if that was yeah. compliant, but I was temp. I wasn't Wait, on d- the.
0: Oh, so they didn't have to get duplicate statements. <laughs> like, <No. laughs>
1: can you imagine? I was shorting City during my bathroom breaks. It would be really
0: great if if Michael took down City with his uh, E Trade account. Dude, don't don't
1: in. joke. I had a 100 bucks, but it was levered three times.
0: <laughs> uh, Jason, what was your first trade or investment?
1: First trade or ma- investment.
0: Do you remember? Man. Did you keep a journal? I did not keep. Neither,
2: general. it was probably an ETF. Okay, it, was, it, it wasn't as interesting as yours.
1: All right, so you, so you were doing it right from day one. So if I would, I if, think so. If I, were, if I was twenty years old, I would be such a junkie right now. I'd be all over Robinhood. Well, so, all that, day. so let me. Have, so, so the thing is, like, I think people are under the illusion, and I was, but I think I, I, I had this like lipo moment last week. Um, that could be wrong, but Robinhood is the is the most powerful drug in the world. Like in terms of like social media, like we think Twitter has hacked our brains. Yeah. Like Robinhood is so addictive that I don't think people are going to get unaddicted just because the sun comes out.
2: Why do you think that is? Which part? Why is it so addictive?
1: All the flashing lights, just the ease, the the user interface is so nice. And you see, like you see literally your money intraday. Yeah. I think they said uh, the average Robinhood user... I don't want to make this up. But do they check their phone seven times a day? I mean, right. or they have an, they have an 84% uh, monthly active user, like 84% of their, or, of their users, maybe daily, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm bumbling the numbers, but it is addictive. Don't you think that, all right, but so we had a one-year period where
0: the S&P went up 75% mm-hmm. and 96% of stocks had positive gains. Right. Of course people are checking their phone. It's, it's like a fucking ATM machine. You're right yeah. about that. I don't yeah. think
1: that that is going to be, I don't think they'll be as addicted if the market gets boring, but like, it's not, but the problem, the thing is, it's not going to get boring. Why? The market, the market might get boring, but there's always meme stocks.
0: 20, 2014 stocks went down. Uh, stocks were flat.
1: The index. There's always But dude, there's always shit moving. Always. You I, know guess, I guess, I yeah. guess they
0: will always gravitate toward whatever is hot. And whatever,
1: if, if something's not moving, they, they legitimately, they can move markets. They can move stocks. Yeah, I agree. So I don't think it's
0: going lot. Are, you, ta- really are you talking to any like Robin Hood esque investors right now? I'm not, man. Okay, they're not. Not, they're not coming to you, and you're not. No, you're not, not me at me. all,
2: man. I'm, I'm. It's interesting, super interesting to me, man. Just how it's how it's evolved and how it's developed. And again, just like I mentioned earlier, I think it's totally indicative of the environment we're in.
1: Hundred percent. Right. I, I don't want to have sh- opinions that are perfect like, timing for the business. Definitely. J- uh, Jason's why I did this piece. What Josh was just talking about, like there were 96% of stocks were up from March to March. Right. So it was the perfect perfect environment for this at home. That ain't going to
0: happen again. It's
1: not going to happen again. Yeah. I don't want to be too strong with my opinions because it's just, I don't, I mean, maybe they, maybe this goes away. Maybe this is a fan. I just don't think, so. I just don't think it is. Yeah, I agree, man. Now, agree.
0: it doesn't have to end badly either. It could end with 20 million people getting the, the speculation out of their systems or realizing they're not cut out for it. Like some people that are cut out me. for it. That happened to me. It's not, most people are not going to be profitable, consistently profitable traders. Right. Like that's just right. Right. We we right. know this uh, empirically. Right. right. So the happy ending, though, rather than like you know how people always like, oh, this is going to end badly. This is going to end in tears. What if like just people gradually start to realize, all right, that was fun, but actually, I want to focus on my career now, or <laughs> or do something different than stare at my phone all day, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to start allocating my money like. More long term. Like couldn't that be the, the way this ends? It could be, man. I mean, what do you guys think if
2: markets shift, right? We we we're in a drawdown. What happens? Do you think there's a flood out of these Robinhood accounts? It hasn't or? been yet. I don't think yeah. I What's don't there? I don't think so. I mean we I, haven't seen a major. They're drawdown.
1: gonna go they're gonna they're gonna start shorting or they're gonna buy the bearish ETFs. Really? Like you I think don't, that's
2: how it plays
0: out. I
1: don't think a bear market's gonna wipe them out. I really don't. Okay. maybe maybe I'm being naive, but I just think that they're going to continue to trade uh, whatever's moving, either direction. Oh
0: right. yeah. Now what if, what if you hear from a Robin Hood person as I have, and they say, "No, I get it. This is not my real money, though. My real money's in my 401K and my IRA, and I'm just having fun.: that's like, like, Yeah. Like it's a good point. You know, people will have the
1: rights to do what they want to do, and I love, I'm all for that. I think the market can be a lot of fun. It right, is a lot yeah. of fun.
0: So that's why I, th- I feel like on balance, this is a positive. I know Ben doesn't feel that way anymore.
1: I just think that like I don't know, I'm conflicted it's it's very messy. There's unbalanced more brokerage accounts the better even if people are doing crazy shit in there. Right. Right. Um I want to
0: talk about advice and you when did you find fa- when did you you founded your firm? 2018. What? 2000 wow. All
2: right. Still, years, still has man. that new
0: firm smell. That's it, brother. All right. <laughs> so you're fresh seven, pair of sneakers. You're seven people. You're uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia yeah. or you're in the city? Yeah, right. We're like 20 minutes west west of the city. Okay, so uh, yeah, suburbs.
1: Okay. Mayor of You got it. Uh, All
0: right, so let's pull this thing up from, I guess this is J.D. Power & Associates, but it's not about luxury SUVs, right? Who who did this study? Yep. All right.
1: Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study.
0: Mm. Right. All right, so the headline, this is designed to make you click. But the headline is at good headline. Financial Advisor Magazine. Thirty-four percent of wirehouse advisors say their firms stumbled during the pandemic. Uh, I would say hundred percent of firms stumbled during the pandemic. Without in a some, doubt. in some way, without a doubt, it's not a wirehouse thing. We had to do this overnight. Right. So, um, how do we communicate with clients? How are you? Everything. How do we work in this decentralized environment? Okay. So first of all, the wirehouses get picked on a lot. I'm not going to like pile on. Um, but thirty-four percent of Wirehouse advisors reported reduced levels of support for the home office. Yeah, because nobody was in the home office. Twenty-nine percent cited disruption of business services. Again, because support people were working out of their kitchens. Like, what you know, what else could you Yeah, I was
1: thinking like, okay, so 66% of respondents were like, please? That doesn't sound 34% doesn't sound like a lot.
2: Right.
0: Doesn't doesn't sound terrible to me. Uh all right, the study rankings show the firms with the highest overall satisfaction among employee advisors. Edward Jones, that's, I mean, th- th- it's a little bit cultish over there. The Edward Jones people love Edward Jones. <laughs> I think they would have been number one no matter what. Um, followed by Raymond James. Congrats to Raymond James. Uh, Stiefel, which I don't really know anybody who's, do you know any, any Stiefel people? I don't know any, yeah. No. That sounds like man. they bought somebody else and that's yeah. why they have so many advisors. And then the bottom three. Merrill Lynch, UBS, and Wells Fargo. Surprised Man, by Wells, any of that?
1: Unbelievable.
0: Not at all. Can you imagine being an advisor at Wells Fargo right now? Yikes! Uh, all right. So what? What I was what I was basically going to say was, if you're still an advisor, and this is not to pick on Wells Fargo, but they've had like a five year stretch of just horrific, just tough. horrific tough he- headline risk. I'm thinking either a your client base is majorly tied in with the banking side and they're just not portable relationships which right. we see all the time b you're too old for this shit you're not looking to start a new firm you're Bingo. not you're not looking to negotiate a new mm. deal make make all your clients sign a cat forms or c you're young you don't know any better or you're somebody's nephew and they took you into their team or the training program and when your parents hear the words Wells Fargo they're like ooh my, my, you know, my so I think that's a lot of I think that's a lot of the, the reason why people would say I'm unsatisfied, but I'm not leaving. You know, I, right? What was, Am I right.
1: what was interesting to me about this is a lot of times surveys are bullshit, and people don't really say what they mean, and it's just sort of like hollow. But in this case, it matters because they found that from 2018 through 2021, 18 percent of advisors working for firms with the lowest overall advisor satisfaction score switched firms, compared with just a switch rate of just five percent. Among the firms with the highest score, it's a humongous mm. spread.
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's definitely B, man. I think they're just, just from even thinking about my personal career and how we've transitioned from IBD space to the RAA space. It's amazing how many people have reservations of going independent, right? And that have been in the what business. is the reservation well, come from? What is the reservation the, come from? If you're, an well, IBD? talking about advisors. Advisors. If, yeah.
0: you're in, if you're, if you at an IBD, your clients already think you're running your own firm, and you, you, got you got almost it. are. You got it. So what are the reservations then? Like just the hassle? The hassle of it.
2: Right. The hassle of it, you know, having to run your shop completely, all that comes with that, I think is challenging for people. And especially if you've been in the business twenty five, thirty years. You got it all. Why do you want to go through of, that right. now?
1: Compliance, payroll. Compliance, payroll, everything, yeah. everything. If you're a corner office
0: if you're a corner office guy, every time an advisor leaves, you get them. <laughs> the clients are sh- shoveled onto your desk. That's a tough situation to walk away from.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: The other thing is you might owe money back. If you took a big check to go there, right? nobody wants to tell their spouse, right. hey, remember that check we got? I actually have to cut a third of it as a new check and send it back. Exactly. Wait, why? The other thing
2: I would say, too, is succession, man. I think there's a, there's a lot of folks in this business that are retiring, you know, trying to figure out, let me figure out who am I sending this business to? Who's going to take over my book?
1: Or how about unquote. this? There's a lot of people that should be retiring but they're not. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that's what that's what I've at re, that's, at retirement what, I've, age. that's yeah, yeah. what
0: I've seen. Like the 70-year-old advisor who's been telling the person under them they're about to retire for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and they just don't. And then by the time they're like going to retire because they they broke their hip or something, then all of a sudden the clients in the book are like passing away. Right? So it's like if you if you worked in that situation under that person for a decade, and then it's like, all right, it's my turn, and there's no new clients coming in. That's a tough. Right. that's a tough situation. Knowing when to leave, yep. yeah, yeah. j d Power said, this is the last thing on this. The average annual production of advisors leaving their firms, so this is like the fees they generate or the commissions they generate eight hundred thousand dollars. and sixty three percent of investors said, they would follow their advisor if he or she left the firm. That's not a good number. That's not at all. No.
2: I'm shocked by that. 63%? 63%?
0: So 37% of That's advisors' not. clients are like – I'm staying with the bank. I'm staying with the bank. Wow. It's
1: got to be for banking reasons. Yeah, well, I was going to say that can't be the so? right
0: number for an IBD because the client has no relationship to Commonwealth. You got it. Or to, Or even some aspects of Raymond James I think is more like a corporate RIA – yeah. I don't think the clients stay in that situation.
2: No way. That's absolutely a ba- that's an environment deal.
0: Do you have ever, a you ever have to call somebody whose clients left? No. I did that for 10 years. <laughs> I, su- I swear to god. I did. I, did you? Really?
1: Yeah, Mass Mutual. They were called uh, orphans.
0: Very nice. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, but the, these were insurance policies yeah. that that yeah. left Orphan yep. program. Yep. Okay. I did uh You can imagine how
1: lucrative that was, I'm being sarcastic.
0: <laughs> we would have we would have I shouldn't say advisors. We would have brokers leave the firm and I was like a co branch manager. So they would hand me like a hundred accounts. They'd be like reassign these by the end of the day before so and so calls them from whatever firm he bounced to. Wow. And even like even before I could even look up, there was a line out my door. <laughs> <laughs> it was a line of brokers like waiting for their new accounts to be reassigned to them. That those those days were not a lot of fun if you were in charge of uh, reassigning. But sixty three percent is a bad number.
1: Wait, are we going? Really from, are bad. we jump, jumping from survey to survey? Is that what we're about to do?
0: Yeah, Michael hates surveys. I love surveys. This let's is, let's get into one. this new one. This, this is a good one. Do you believe this one? Uh, no. Okay. Capgemini ultra high net worth survey: the biggest, the biggest wealthiest liars in the world. Um, Capgemini's 2021 Global High Net Worth Insight Survey, they interviewed 2,900 high net worth individuals across 26 major wealth markets, North America, Latin America, Europe, Asia Pacific. So first things first, during the pandemic, 520,000 people got up to 25 million or more in assets, which is what they consider ultra high net worth. And that grew two and a half percent during the pandemic year. We're not surprised by this. Right. If you had assets, you, you got, made money. You got way wealthier than if you didn't. Um this was the part that I was surprised by. Millennials make up 47% of ultra high net worth people now. And they have not if you're above that 25 million, they have an average net worth of 164 million. Which is a higher average than Gen X? That's because
1: Zuckerberg's it's worth four trillion. He's skewing the numbers. Exactly.
0: No, but that is what that is, right? That's technology yeah. IPOs. Right. Like we could agree that's probably it's, the biggest source of. It's not farmers. Um, it, a lot of it could be inheritance, though, too. Or I don't know, possibly. Not
1: possibly. to get up. Not
0: to get a twenty-five million. Yeah. Very few people are inheriting at that rate. That's got to be like stock market wealth creation. Right. I feel like. Right. Uh Surprising though, man. So but so you have to build a business though to speak with this generation. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was I don't feel that most of the firms that that we quote unquote compete with have any idea how to talk to this demographic. They weren't built to do it. Yeah. So do you feel like advisors are better off building something from scratch than trying to shift an existing wealth management firm to talk to? the 73 million millennials that are now basically running the markets and the economy?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, obviously I'm biased. I think bootstrapping is the best way to do it. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, I'm on the tip end, I guess, of being a millennial, 40 years old. So for me, you're not a millennial. uh, You're not a millennial. No offense. All right. I, I tell people I am, but I'm not. You're a tweener.
0: Oh, I guess you are. Yeah, yeah. When does it start? I think it starts in 81.
1: Yeah, I think you are. You're, you're, you're the oldest. You are the oldest millennial. You're ger- right?
0: They call it geriatric millennials. I'm the there baldest you millennial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but so, you, so you built a firm from scratch in the last four years, three years. You got it. So what did you do differently that maybe other wealth management firms in the area aren't doing? You know what, man? I
2: think – Just thinking about our firm, highly relational, and I I think that all this stuff is cliche stuff, right? Highly relational, you know, client-centric, all these different things. But, you know, I think it's been about the way we've done it in a boutique manner, right? So our relationships are everything. That's a heartbeat of our firm. I think it's a heartbeat of a lot of firms, but it's never been a volume play for us, right? So it's like, man, look, if we're going to take on X, Y, Z, we need to have capacity, to do that. And obviously we're in the embryonic stages of that. So volume, we tried to trim that down.
0: You have to be more, you have to be more selective. Exactly. But is that selective in terms of like the assets of the potential client or more like what you could do for that client over a lifetime? I think it's a combination
2: of a lot of different things. I think it's the person it's the asset level. It's, it's the relationship. It's the dynamic between them and our staff, right? You know, is this somebody that energizes the entire group? If they don't, it's probably not going to work, man.
0: I like I like that idea. Um, we we had to learn that the hard way, but we we did learn. Yeah, that you know not all client relationships are created equal, and you, you want to prioritize for the ones that you think are going to go the distance. It's too much effort to onboard someone that you know is not going to be happy. Right in three months. Right. Right. It's like right. T- you're going through too much up upfront.
1: Let, uh, let me ask you guys this for a sec. Yeah. Uh, let me nitpick for a second. Do we think that? Eh, this is a bad exercise. I was just say $25 million net worth. People that have at least 25 probably on average have way more than that. Right. Because we've got
0: 164 million on average. Is that what it is? Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, that's From what they said it was. For so millennials. Are fa- those are family offices at yeah. that point. Right. I th- like I think. Yeah. For the no most doubt. part. All no right. So, so
1: let's just say, let's just use $200 million as a number. We'll use that.
0: So your net worth. Right, exactly. Okay. So
1: $200 million, if there's 520,000 people that have that, that's $100 trillion in assets. The global global total assets just blew my mind. $430 trillion. Yeah, but they're not saying that's that. That's so that much money. They're not saying 000.
0: that all those people have um, 164, 200 million assets. They're saying it's like an average. So
1: that's, so that's what I'm saying. I'm doing the average. Right. I'm saying if 520,000 people on average have $200 million, That's a hundred trillion. That's twenty five percent of the global worth, global net worth. I guess that sounds about right. Five hundred twenty thousand people is zero point zero one percent of the population.
0: Well, that's all those. That's all those like that Oxford thing that comes out every year. How like the wealthiest one percent own more than the bottom fifty. You got it. I mean, this is this is that steroids.
1: This is zero point zero one percent of the population owning potentially twenty to twenty five percent of total assets.
0: Um, Percentage Mm
1: -hmm. of women in the overall
0: client pool. So this is not ultra high net worth. This is just high net worth. What's high net worth? Probably, I'm guessing, 5 million plus. I'm just making that up. I I didn't actually read the fine print. Percentage of women in the overall client pool is rising through both inheritance and increasing female entrepreneurship. In the U.S., there were 114% more women entrepreneurs than 20 years ago, and 40% of U.S. businesses are women-owned. So I would just say, like, they caught up really fast.
2: That's major.
0: Like hundreds of years of history where they couldn't even get a bank loan. Right, and then in the last two decades, they caught up really fast, and it's not stopping.
1: Yeah, this is the big story from here. And the the journal just did a piece on this last week about the wealth the wealth transfer. Seventy trillion dollars in wealth is going from the boomers to our generation. Right by that
0: by sixty eight trillion by twenty forty two. Yeah, it's major. That's we've so never next two decades.
1: This never happened before. Right, like that sort of wealth transfer has never happened before. Right, it's just it's glacial,
0: so you don't see it. It's not like an event that happens; it happens every day a little bit, but it's still so big. You know the
1: stat: ten thousand baby boomers are retiring every day. Yeah, this is morbid. This is morbid, but at some point, it's going to be ten thousand baby boomers are dying every day.
0: It's crazy. Somebody's keeping that stat. I mean, I I don't like hearing it. My parents are boomers. Yeah, same. Definitely, I'm definitely not uh, looking forward to hearing those headlines. Um, So, how do you prepare for that? As an as an As an advisor, as a firm.
1: Well, what about and as uh, well? I guess before the firm, like as a family, right? Those are hard conversations to have. No so nobody's
0: having those conversations. One, of the, all right. This is one of the highest functions of a financial advisor in America in 2021. Talking to the already wealthy is what are your plans? Yeah. Like when do What's you plan strategy? to let your family know what you have, what you likely will have, where it is, where it's going, what you hope they do with it? Nobody, nobody is having these conversations. Uh, from what I hear and say, like yeah. advisory firms are facilitating these conversations, but they're, to your point, they're so uncomfortable and they're so hard to uh, strike up because right. nobody wants to think about. it. It's also yeah, hard yeah, for yeah.
1: the advisor to yeah. have that conversation. That's like the most personal thing. Like we know everything about our clients' financial lives, but this is like a step beyond that. No doubt. Um,
0: I think probably as an advisor, though, if if the client brings that up to you, it's a big icebreaker.
2: No doubt. So I think- one of the things that we've done is really started to acclimate the kids into the conversation, man. I think it's it's been huge. It's actually we beta taste, beta tested it with some of
0: our really so strong adult children, exactly young, young adult children, just starting to get them. Not involved. the five year olds. You got it right. <laughs> so how do you do that, dude? We're
2: upfront about it, man. Like, what is your legacy plan? What's the strategy? What are you guys going to do? You know, let's start talking about it before we have to talk about it. Right? Yeah, right. And just being really proactive with it. Um, but it's gone well, man. I think okay. it's, it's, it's important. That's why I was curious, like, what are you guys doing? What, I mean, I just think it's so important, this whole wealth transfer. I mean, you, you know the numbers. Yeah, well, right? estate,
1: estate planning is obviously a big part of what advisors do. But, like, I feel like some of this stuff is even a step beyond the estate planning. Because we could say, like, exactly. okay, where's, where's the money going? But then, like, facilitating that conversation so that the kids aren't, like, blindsided by this when it happens to be exactly. ready. Well, one, one of the things that I hear when I jump on calls with our advisors who are talking to wealthy
0: – families is a lot of times this is just the nature of stock market stuff it's the husband who initiated the contact with us but then the husband dragging the wife onto a first or second call just to like make sure she's in the loop yep um we get that way more than the reverse and mm-hmm. probably it'll always be that way um but then by the third or fourth conversation um we see that the women are taking over and in most cases, fortunately, because – here's more. Researchers – estimate. oh, uh, a lot of this money will flow to, first to widows who in heterosexual couples tend to be younger and also tend to live longer than their husbands. Mm-hmm. Researchers estimate that about half of women over 65 outlive their husbands by 15 years. Wow. That's
1: a lot that's of time. It's like another lifetime. If, if you've not
0: learned anything about finance until your husband passes, that's a lot of time on average to be managing money. Uh in a report last year, McKinsey, a consultancy, reckoned that much of boomers' wealth would be managed by women by 2030. Yeah. It's like nine years from now. I could definitely see that being the
1: case. Yeah. So,
0: it's 2030?
1: Uh, well, it's 2020.
0: LGBT, wow. uh, I thought this was interesting. I don't think the traditional wealth management industry is really prepared for this in any way whatsoever. Traditional family structures are evolving. Even, even in our conversation today, we're talking about husbands and wives. Uh, an increase in single families, cohabitation arrangements, and same-sex marriage. In 2019, LGBT adults globally held combined buying power of approximately $3.7 trillion. I don't know where that stat comes from, like how they got that number, yeah. but that's going to be a big part of wealth management, whether yeah. people are ready for it or or not, right? Yeah. Planning is evolving, man. I mean, that's
2: what it says to me. I mean, you have to be prepared for this.
0: We're going to see more of it. Yes, right?
2: These trends are not changing, not going backwards.
0: And doing right? planning for same-sex couples is not exactly the same thing as doing planning for—I uh, don't want to say traditional—but um, but for heterosexual couples, it's not—it's not quite the same thing. Right. And uh, I know that there is an accreditation that advisors can get to be able to speak to those issues authoritatively. My partner right. Chris has that. Uh, all right, fifty-seven percent of high-net-worth individuals say they would prefer an advisor. That matches their socio-demographic profiles as they expect them to better understand their needs. This is the big one to me. What is? Diversity. Diversity, because our industry historically looks like me. Right. But that's not what wealth is going to look like. Like right. I, I feel like uh, everyone's trying to address it, but they're really – how should I say this? The student body coming out of financial planning programs has to shift in no, order no. for this to work. No doubt. So, I mean, what, what, do you think,
2: what do you think about Dude, that? Dude, it's so important, man. I mean, you have to be really intentional about the diversity piece. We're, we're serving a different client, right? And, I mean, the stats just said it, right? So I think for us, I mean, look, this is my city. I grew up in this town. What was great about it for me, always coming downstairs in all the different languages you heard, all the different types of people, different perspective. I think naturally as human, it's, it's kind of human nature to be tribal, yeah. Right, we we roll with our crew. Who's what's familiar? What we know, but dude, there's it's probably the worst way to go. Right, yeah. And thinking about the future and where
0: we're going to be. So the wirehouses had this concept, and they were smart. They knew this intuitively that older, wealthier people, which was their bread and butter, probably were more likely to do business with people who looked like them, you got it, or their sons or grandsons. And that's how they recruited for years and years. And that shifted, of course. They're not doing that anymore. But that had gone on for so long that the industry looks the way it does. And we can point to things where there's progress, but we're probably going to be playing catch-up in our industry, I would guess, forever. Right? Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, you got to tap new wells, right? We gotta, there, there are tons of minority groups that are not even terribly familiar with the industry. Right. right, that just need to, you know, they think about maybe investment banking or whatever, but like wealth management. What is wealth management? Yeah, right? if, it's if so you're not important. at a
0: college with a financial pl- planning program, it's unlikely that anyone would even speak those words to you. You got it. And when you think of Wall Street, you think of trading or mm-hmm. banking. Right. So I, I agree. Uh, there are some professors and some programs that I've spoken with over the years that are doing a pretty good job with this stuff. Mm. Like they're speaking financial planning language two kids in school but even like a a 20 year old learning these concepts it's going to be so long before they can actually be an advisor onboarding wealthy families as clients like something has to take place in the interim and i don't don't, how do you do it how do you train a 22 year old to talk to a five million dollar household mentorship man it's like years years it will take it'll take time but mentorship is
2: key right i've had i've had some really great mentors throughout my career that's just i mean you know you guys know it's who
0: was like your who is your biggest mentor in this area like that really showed you how the the business works yeah i mean it's two managers two people in
2: particular i mean one was my first manager when i was with MedLife. you know he was great i mean just teaching me the business but also looked like me and helped me understand all right this is how potentially you might need to navigate that mm. was critical yeah, you know, because I again, when you're when you're looking at diverse candidates and minorities, their experience might be different than yours, right? right. And how they're attacking the marketplace, what they're doing, who they're talking to, who their ideal client is. Uh, so that was super helpful.
0: You got to see that up front, like you, got, you got, got to see that up close,
2: real life, real opportunity. So I think the mentorship is key. That's key to help grow from there.
0: Um, we're gonna do a hard. We're gonna do a hard turn into some stock shit. So you mentioned that you just hired an analyst. Like how how do you guys go about like looking for stocks, selecting stocks, talking to clients about stocks? What's that like at uh, at Odyssey? Oh man, it's fun. Um,
2: Fun and a lot of work, as you guys know. Of course. um, You know we've we've used outside research partners. Uh, We just started developing our own research. We started working with FactSet and kind of building our stuff out. but it's been difficult, man, because it's hard to. And I was talking to Mike about this earlier. It's hard to uh, do your own independent research, advise clients, continue to market, build your brand, and run a business all at the same time. Right. So, um, honestly, it's this hiring of this analyst is the first step in that kind of research direction. Like, hey, look, this is you're going to own this, and you're going to help us build our enterprise portfolios and build it out from here. So, What's,
0: what kind of strategies do you need to bring in-house versus use outside? Like what are you, what are you thinking of doing um, as you build it in a proprietary way? Yeah, so we, we have like
2: thematic strategies that we uh, have put in place. So for us, it's like, okay, let's, um, let's pull in everything that we're getting, all the information that we're doing, and internally and on our investment committee really make decisions on, hey, this is what makes sense for our moderate portfolio. This makes make sense for our tactical portfolio or right. aggressive, or whatever that is. And that's how we're starting to build it out. You know, but the vision, ultimately, is this is something that they run entirely. The, the analyst team, they're running it you know, just like we've leveraged analysts in the past
0: you know, as partners. So you, want to be the, so you want to be the front end, handling the relationships, bringing on new clients, you and then have it. the portfolios be managed internally where it makes sense. You got it. Right. So we're doing a mix of like internal and external. Got it. and I, it depends on the asset class, right? Yeah. Um all right. So we have some stocks here that are underrated, underfollowed, uh just some stuff that I thought was interesting. So I see Penn and uh and Target in the Who's were those?
1: Those are both mine.
0: Okay. So wait, <clears throat> I wait. just
1: want to talk about Penn Gaming was so this is Portnoy stock, had one of the craziest years I've ever seen of any stock in two thousand twenty. It did. This thing at one point was down eighty percent on the year. And it finished up 240%. I think it was one of the best-performing stocks in the Russell 1000. And the reason why I say it's, it's under-filed or under right now is it's in a pretty massive drawdown. It's, it's, I think it's down 50% from its recent high. I thought that was notable.
0: So if you bought it in the spring of 2020, you're still up a lot? Oh, a ton. ton, ton. But if you bought it at the beginning of this year, you could be down big.
1: It's in a Yeah, it's in a 47% the drawdown. The stock was 100%. I, I, I don't know. I don't, listen, I don't know what's going on. But I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and – um obviously one of the big things that they do is, is sports betting. Yeah. And that's a commodity and it's a great business. There's a ton of competition. Uh FanDuel's giving 30 to 1 odds of of your first free bet. They'll give you up to a 100, 150 bucks. You you bet $5, you win 150. Just to, goes to show how lucrative this this business oh, model they're is. Oh, if they will if
0: they're willing to give you thirty thirty <laughs> to 1 odds and have you win. Yeah. That tells you how badly they, they, how much they'll pay to acquire a customer. Exactly. So
1: anyway, the competition is obviously coming in. Wait until I said this is not my take. Wait until uh, Robinhood puts sports betting on the app. Oh my god! I mean,
0: is that that, do they transformative?
1: No, no, it's just speculation. But why wouldn't they? Yeah. So
0: now in my portfolio, I'm diversified. I have stocks. There you go. I have crypto. I have prop bets. On NHL games <laughs> there you go. So all right, so sports betting is an asset class. Robin Hood's gonna that so, makes that makes sense. Do you run into people that ask you about um playing like the gaming theme, speaking of thematic or or not really?
2: Not a ton, man. Not a ton. I mean, we had a couple of inquiries on DraftKings early in the
0: year. That was a hot one. Yeah.
1: Super
2: hot.
0: Yeah, super hot. Did that one fall off a cliff?
1: Not as bad, but yeah, it's, bad. it's pretty bad.
2: Yeah, it's bad though.
1: The other one I want to talk about is is Target. We've got, I guess, back to school is coming up, or maybe not school. School's out, but uh, dude, this stock looks like a fucking cloud computing stock. So <laughs> look at the long term chart of Target. Target had a market cap. I'm looking at a five year chart. In 2017, it was it was a market cap of $27 billion. It's up to $123 billion. And, John, throw up this chart of, like, all the cash flow and revenue and stuff. And you would never, like – five years ago it's not a long time ago. But you would never think that a company like Target
0: – This is all e-commerce. –
1: can do what they just did. I mean, just – if you knew nothing and you're just looking at like these, these, these charts are going up, I mean, we're looking at net income, we're looking at revenue, we're looking at free cash flow. I mean, this business is absolutely on fire.
0: They also had Crazy, a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-century moment to prove themselves as Omnichannel. And they did. Yep. And They, they did. did it in like they did a great job. Three mu- they did I can't tell you job. how
1: many times a week my wife says to me, go uh, do a Target pickup where no, she, she orders on her phone. I just go to the parking lot. They bring it to your car.
2: Look at them compared to Walmart this year.
1: Like, they're they're on their, they're on their heels. I mean, Walmart's still way bigger, but if you right. look at like target compared to Walmart, the charts are. Yeah.
0: No doubt. They so yeah, I feel like job, Tar- every
1: day target's making a new high. Yeah.
0: Are, are you guys in, are you guys in any of these e-commerce stocks?
2: I own Walmart. I just actually unloaded it recently.
0: Okay. But they yeah. had they had a sick year last year though. They right? did, man. They did.
1: So target is, uh, I mean, target this, everyone knows target. It's, It's a sleepy sort of. No, but what's crazy crazy is that it's a a forty. Yeah, it's a forty percent crazy because they're getting.
0: I'm making up a number, but like just hypothetically, they're getting like five times the credit for every dollar of e-commerce than they were getting for every dollar of like regular foot traffic in the stores. Yeah, like that. That money they're making is the same money, but worth multiples on Wall Street.
1: So Walmart's Walmart's down three percent this year. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, And this thing just keeps, this thing What is, What did Target
0: going. do last year? What was it, the return?
1: Uh, it's, it was, I don't, don't have it right here, but it was, yeah. I don't know what they did in 2020.
0: Yeah. I'm going to guess, hey, I'll tell you right now. I'm going to, I'm going to get, this year, man. thanks Y charts. I'm going to guess, oh, 2020 40%, which is pretty modest. Um it's crazy. But this stock doubled in 2019. Like they were already kicking ass yeah. on Omnichannel going into the pandemic. It's an amazing transformation. Uh, I threw Oracle in the dock. I honestly, Jason, I think this is like the most un, underrated technology story in the NASDAQ right now. You following this at all? I am, man. Okay. I am. Are you in it? I'm not in it. I I'm not in it either. One. I want to jump that. off a, a roof. All right. Oracle's RSI is like off the charts relative to its its peer group. This is one of the strongest stocks um, of all technology. Basically, this is like a, uh, this is like a company that's going from selling big enterprise licenses to the cloud and taking on Amazon, taking on Google, taking on Microsoft, but not just the me too. There are like important points of differentiation where a fortune 500 company would choose Oracle to run their, their, uh, run their cloud business. This stock seems to go up every week. Um, it's funny,
1: we spoke last week with McMurtry about uh, legacy companies having trouble adapting, integrating technology, but Oracle mm. was like a legacy tech play. That's exactly what it was. You're and exactly so, and right. so they did it.
0: Uh, all right, here's Oracle's last report. For the full fiscal year, Oracle totaled 40.48 billion in sales, only up 3.6% from the previous year. But over the last eight years, they never grew. Like that's what made it a legacy tech play. Um, so revenue declined the year before by 1%, by 1% the year before that, um, sales declined four times in the last six years. Think about what's going on Mm -hmm. while Oracle sales are declining with with Amazon, with Microsoft. So this stock basically was left for dead. Um, the growth rate for 2021 fiscal year is the second best for Oracle since the end of 2012. Mm -hmm. So you can see that in the chart that there's a comeback happening. Earnings increased. A lot of the gains came from share repurchases. They bought back $20 billion in stock last year. They bought back $76 billion in the last three years. So it's a combination of shrinking the float, which is boosting earnings, and then throwing themselves into cloud. And on the last conference call, they're like, expect huge investments. Yeah. To, to grow. So I think this is easily going to 100 bucks. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Oracle?
2: I like it, man. I mean, I'm I'm mad
0: that I missed this one, you know. And I Same. really
2: like because uh, the one that I put in the doc was uh, CRM, man. Okay. I really like um, I like SaaS. I like SaaS, um, and I think that you know, obviously, all the all the news and the flurry was about the Slack deal. Yeah, you know, um, oh, and, so, uh,
0: Salesforce.
2: Yeah, on Salesforce, and you know, it looks like that will happen. Will be completed at the end of this month. I think that's major. What does that
0: do? I, what is what I what is adding Slack do for sales? So we we use Slack and we use Salesforce. Yeah. What's my experience going to be like now? Probably it won't
2: change. Right. Right. But um, I do think so. When I'm, when I'm thinking about the themes, you know, the hybrid economy is a major theme for me. You know, going into this next quarter, and I think. And you might have mentioned this the other day, just on adoption versus demand. Yeah, you know what that story is. I, was,
0: I might have been screaming about that yesterday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, but 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 it's it's an important point, man, because I think um, adoption is still not there completely, right? I think I think there's a lot of room on that runway, right? And I think CRM is is one of the companies that could take advantage of it.
0: So when you own this for clients, let's like you've been buying it for years. You're in yeah. this a long time, yeah. You'll still buy it for like a, a new client that comes in tomorrow. You'll give them their allocation to it. I would. Okay. How I would. Do, how do you make the decision to stop like when a stock has just gone too far? Because I always struggled with that. It's a good question, man. I think for
2: us at this point, and it, again, we're early stage. We're still trying to figure out this model. Um, but I think, you know, obviously we're not trying to time the market ultimately trying to see what's what's the average cost in you know and evaluating that and looking at
0: our trades
2: you know but thankfully we haven't had to make that decision yet okay
0: but it's coming it's you coming, haven't had man. a stock that went up so much that you still want to hold it for some clients but not add it for new clients right well let me say let me let me correct that nvidia is one of them I, yeah how do you buy that you can't right now but how do you sell it You. <laughs> <laughs> i i deal with that all the time yeah like I can't buy it, yeah, because I just watched it go up a thousand percent, twelve hundred percent. Exactly, but I am definitely not selling it. Yeah. Now, adding yeah. the tax thing for clients—that's like just Major. my own problem. But now, right. th- think about a client's tax situation; that also has to fact. It shouldn't factor into your analysis of the stock, right? But in wealth management, it has to factor into the advice that we're giving, right? So that's to me that's that's very tough. Hopefully, you have some losses in some meme stocks. <laughs> <laughs> to, to offs by the way, AMC very quickly cut in half from from a tie. I think right. Oh, pretty, really? pretty close Pretty close. Pull it up.
1: What happened today? It
0: bounced today. Did it? Not cut in half. Oh. Sorry, it was seventy two and it's forty seven flat today. Everybody's everybody's fine, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. AMC is fine. Calm <laughs> down. Uh, all right. So uh, what did I? Do we have any others in there? Nope. Nope. Nothing else on stocks. All right. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to go into this Robin Hood thing on payment for order flow. I think this is fascinating. The new SEC chairman is looking at or director Gary Gensler, uh, who's now running the SEC, is gonna rethink payment for order flow. Uh, who's your Who's your custodian, by the way? Schwab. Okay, so your trades are free now for clients. You got it. Ours too. And Schwab gets payment for order flow. You know what I say? Good for them. It should cost something. Right. We're doing thousands of trades a month with right. Schwab. Should they do that for free? Right. I don't even I don't think my clients want them doing that for free. So I'd rather some Citadel pay them than me pay them. And if you tell me that's costing me a penny every time I buy Apple, Fine. who gives a shit? Fine. This is a non issue. Right. In my opinion. Are we going back to
2: trading costs? There's no way. No. 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 no way. No. How that's, would
0: we do right. that? How would we do that? How would we do that? How, like what brokerage firm would be able to say this is a better deal for you now we're going to go back to $5 a trade. Yeah, right. Investors would be like, "What?" Good luck. So all right, so why are they why are they reopening this wound? Is it is it just about the way Robinhood has conducted itself that's making them rethink the whole business model? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cuz there is an incentive here for Robinhood to push more and more client activity in areas where the payment for order flow is higher. And the only reason it would be higher is because it's a shittier trade for the end client. Right. We all understand that, but these clients are self-directed. Right? Nobody has a right. Nobody has a gun to their head to do the trades that they're doing or the activity. So, for just saying that Robinhood is mind fucking them into doing these trades, I don't think payment for order flow is the way to solve that. So, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't
2: think. I think it's a mute issue, honestly. I think it goes nowhere. Because I, I, I don't know what their alternative is in order to kind of move forward um, in a way that makes sense. This looks
1: like a weird PR move for the SEC. Like yeah. they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. How funny
0: would it be? Robinhood goes public, and the next day, we are, we are now voiding the possibility of payment for order flow. We, we've decided that it's, it's, it, this is something that China would be able to do, I guess. What they just did to Didi. Uh, they said no more app. You can't even download the app in China the day after they went public. It's amazing. All Good. right, I don't think this is gonna come. I don't think anything's gonna come of this. In my research for this uh, conversation, though, I didn't realize this. I don't know why. Maybe a lot of people did, and and I'm just behind. Fidelity doesn't do payment for order flow, and we that. use them as custodian.
1: Well, I guess that's because probably unlike the other custodians, most of their money comes from the asset management business.
0: Right. Do we think that? Charles Schwab's asset management business is materially smaller than yes, Fidelity's. Yes, we do. Like, is it Fide- really Fidelity's
1: fund families? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, Huge. Yeah. their 401k
1: business—it's just massive. All
0: right, so we yeah. have we have assets at Fidelity, and they had to cut commissions to zero, also, just to like keep up right. with what's going on. But they are not taking payment for order flow, right. which leads me to wonder: Well, how are, how are they planning to make money? Or
1: Fidelity just does just fine.
0: I'm sure they're fine. Maybe maybe they get more Just, on margin interest or a stock loan or some of these other businesses.
1: I mean, I'm saying they're asset management businesses. What is the, the contra fund? <laughs> generate? do you know? Half, half a billion dollars in fees. Yeah, I'm making so, that up. But. Right, so Robinhood,
0: 80% of their revenue comes from payment for order flow. That honestly sounds yeah. light. I thought it was more than that. Mm. More than 80%? Yeah. That's a lot of money, though. It's billions of dollars, we learned. How much? How, did, no, did a, billion, a billion
1: dollars? A billion dollars in revenue almost in 2020. So that's a
0: billion dollars that like five high frequency trading firms are paying them in exchange for access to their customers' orders. Yeah, but again, that's that seems okay to me. Yeah, if you're not a hot, if you, if you're a Robinhood client buying eight shares of of uh, of
1: Tesla, who cares? Who cares? If you if you really so up in arms about it, take your eight shares to Schwab and direct your orders to the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you on
0: that. So yeah. I don't think anything will come of this. I don't think that we're going back. Historically, when a major breakthrough in finance takes place, you very rarely have the whole system revert to whatever it was before. Right. So I wouldn't worry too much about this. All right, uh, Knicks championship next year, or or bust. <laughs> championship or bust. All right, let me bust. let me let me set this up. So you're a Knicks fan, no doubt. Okay, but you're in I'm Sixers in land. Yeah, Sixers land. All right, let's start. Let's start with the Knicks. I shared this article from Berman in the post. I feel like he's Berman. He's trolling us all. This is like wishful thinking, like New York is now uh, emerging as a primetime destination. I love it, man. Whether it's true or not, I love it. It's definitely not true. I mean, it might be. Mark
1: Berman does not speak for the Knicks as far as I'm concerned. Not even close. (laughs) It might come
0: true. I don't know. All right. What do we think the Knicks should do? First things first. Like, let's say you're Leon Rose. You you looked at how the season went. We got demolished by the Hawks. We should have. We're not as deep. We're not as good. We don't have a superstar shooter. Yeah. Okay, so now what do you do? You got $60 in cap space, give or take. Yeah. You have picks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to—
2: We got to get a superstar in here, man. We got— I love— I love the idea of trying to get Dame. Dame Lillard here. Oh, man. So how do we do it? So do I, but isn't
0: this what we always do? We always do this. This is— No, no, no. No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. We did this one time with Melo, and it didn't turn out well. Right, but and and I was not happy when we got Dame Mello. is so much but better But don't than give Mello. up the
2: ranch for
1: him. But we're gonna have to. And honestly, the ranch isn't that great. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm an RJ Barrett fan, but uh, we you gotta be do willing and let him go. We we have to. Listen, the wow. ranch is Put, he, fan he, favorite. He, here's here's how you know we gotta do this. Put yourself in the Blazers. Imagine you're a Blazers fan.
2: Yeah.
1: And you trade Dame, and you got back RJ Barrett, will be top, in a few first round picks. Are You happy, or are you livid? Yeah. How pissed Good would you point. be? It's a good point. So my initial reaction was like, oh, man, we're going to give him RJ, Obi, quickly, and three picks and swaps. Okay. But then flip it and say, what would you do if you were a Blazers fan? You'd be so angry. Well, let me ask you this.
2: Where are the Blazers going?
1: With Dame? Right. No, nowhere. Right now. Nowhere. nowhere. Yeah.
2: Right. So are you, the contrary argument to that is, are you okay with rebuilding right now?
1: And it's a new,
0: it's a new coach? It is a new character. Uh, Chauncey. Uh, I, Chauncey. D- okay. Yeah. So D- he wants to, He does he want to start from scratch or does he think he's coaching uh, Damian Lillard next year?
1: In Dame's defense, the Blazers have gotten balanced by the Lakers and the Warriors the past like five years. So they've gotten wow. balanced by the Champions. What are they going to do? But I, I, I agree with you. I think the Knicks, we need a superstar. They have
0: to wait right. out LeBron's retirement and hope Clay doesn't come back. Like that. They're not to going me, that's like a better strategy than blowing up the team. But uh, all right. So, all right. So let's, let's, Let's think about it this way. Let's say you're, let's say you're Dame. Why wouldn't you do this? If you offer's what? on the table, why wouldn't you? I think you have to. I think he has to. He's 30, thirty years old. Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. This, this is it. This is it, man. This is the this is the Two biggest contract you will ever sign. Like like a, a, if it works out here, and they'll build a team around you, and it's New York.
1: I also think if the Knicks, so as as much as I'd be sorry to give away all those draft picks and RJ and whatever um he, you also got to think he would attract another free agent Absolutely. if he comes somebody else is coming
2: the what? climate has changed at the garden no doubt about it thibs no doubt about it I and, think it's completely changed man and,
0: and I think people like I, I guess I don't know who ends up staying on the team but I think people look at the guys we have and they say I would play with those guys well there's the, hard all year there's a lot of
1: turnover in the roster nerlins and Barks and uh, Reggie Bullock—they're all unrestricted free agents. Derek Rose, D rose. Uh, Taj, he rose Taj did a phenomenal so, job yeah, this great. year. So the team—the team is probably going to look different next year because Nerland's going to get paid. I think Burks and Bullock are going to get paid. Yeah, we're not going to sign all of them. What do we
0: do with uh, Mitch Robinson? Can he play a full season? Nope, or even close to? Nah, probably no not. One. Right? Nope. Um, Taj came up big though. Like I wasn't big even mad about it. Uh, big uh, time. We're, ta-
1: we're talking about Taj Gibson. I hear everybody uh, exiting <laughs> out of this podcast.
0: All right, last last thing. What if? <laughs> What if we what if we um send Obi Toppin to Portland and he turns out to just be an incredible player? He's not gonna be. You don't think he has No. It? You see him hitting threes. He played zone? he, okay, played, he, he,
1: played, he played good in the playoffs. He played a he played a lot better wow. in the playoffs.
0: Are they, you, they, Robert, he plays five minutes a game. How the f do you know? He could be he could be a, I'm, I'm a not scout. saying he will be, I'm, I'm saying, saying he could be amazing. <laughs> he, no, he can't be amazing. You don't think he so? He might be able to be solid. Yeah, size? but he's saying amazing. Yeah, maybe shoots.
1: maybe not.
2: Yeah. He, right. he looks lost. Listen, Fine. he's
1: he's he's not even that young. He was like a twenty-two year old rookie. So I'm, yeah. You know, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, that's right. I'm not super excited right. about him. He's a four year guy. The reason why we're talking about this, uh, well, we're Knicks fans, but I was I was this this surprised me. Um, somebody tweeted during the game that the Suns Arena does not. I don't even know what they call it. The, nobody, the there's no sponsor. Down. Yeah, and this is like big business. So you, they lost this. I was surprised to learn that Madison Square Garden is the only uh, arena in basketball other than this one. That's not named,
0: yeah. So this is da- is this a Darren Ravel tweet or who's uh, so- front office sports? All right, Phoenix Suns Arena does not currently have a naming rights sponsor. The value and equivalent advertising companies are missing out on during the NBA Finals: seven point seven five million per game. That's via Apex Marketing, Darren Ravel. I don't. I like Darren. I don't. I, I don't know who Apex Marketing is. How do they know this number?
1: Well, they probably know the what the what the going rate is for these commercials. So it's just all mm. right.
0: So every Major. time they mention the name of the stadium, but, so
1: there's been research done on this. It, like, why would a company spend twenty million dollars a year to slap their name on an arena? And it's hard to quantify exactly this. So they've looked at like, s- the, but they've looked, they've looked at stock performance. And I don't think companies are any better or worse off for doing this. But maybe it's probably a vanity could, play. Yeah, it's a vanity I could, play. I can think of five companies
0: play. that went bankrupt while their name was on top of a stadium. So. But you know, what's, it's interesting? No really,
1: like like Staples for example, like Staples Center. Yeah, yep. how's that going? Is is, is it – did this Staples file – Staples is not financially healthy.
0: I think a private equity firm bought it already, like yeah. for a bargain. I, I'm not sure what happened with so Staples. So I,
1: I guess I understand from like state – Farm, you know, insurance, like insurance is a commodity. You have brand recognition there. But like SoFi, for example?
0: SoFi right. is paying big money. But if you're SoFi,
1: first the venture
0: capitalists gave you like a billion dollars and then the SPAC transaction to come public – their only job right now is brand awareness. They're spending yeah, yeah, yeah. so much money on commercials. Yeah, yeah. So that's just like added to the pile of branding shit they're doing. The Suns had a casino as their sponsor, Talking Stick Casino, which is a was a Native American casino. And the deal ran out during the season, and they didn't re-up. Mid-season? And, no, mid-2020. Hmm. Oh. What's going on in Phoenix, so man? So casino probably not doing well. That's it, you know, yeah. yeah probably What's not. Going hey, You guys all. want to give us 20 million dollars? Nah. Wow. And wow. and by the way, the Suns weren't really the Suns last year. They were good. Yeah. They weren't they weren't final the Suns.
1: Well, speaking of that, like what are the Suns going to do because they don't spend money like that? What do you mean? Not at all. Like well, with Chris Paul, like all of a sudden like he, this guy we're t- well, it's he's funny 36 two, 2 years ago he had the worst contract in the NBA and now he's going to get another big fat contract. You think so? I do. At 36. I do. I do. I do. How many years? Two for sixty, wow! Three for three free. I don't know. I don't, three has, sounds. Crazy. He also has
0: like a sterling reputation among all the front offices. Like he's a, yeah, he's a isn't he president good, yeah. of the players? Uh, Association? Yeah, he's like the boss
1: of the league. Yep,
0: right. Um, all right. So the NA, NBA, every single arena has a sp- corporate sponsor except for the Garden. Except for the Garden. Same with the NHL. Except for the Garden. The Rangers play there. Miami's looking for a new, uh, for a new. What's sponsor. It called sponsor? Yeah, Oklahoma City needs a new one because Chesapeake, Chesapeake Energy <laughs> went under. So, yeah. Sad, sad story. Yeah, um, I'm sure they'll have no trouble finding another natural gas company. Is <laughs> somewhere in Oklahoma. I think feel like they'll they'll run into one. Um, the new thing they <laughs> built a lot in San of Francisco for the Warriors is J.P. Morgan. Didn't um, yeah. I think Miami
1: got uh, FTX to sponsor or to not sponsor to take the naming rights. Who the, the crypto exchange? FTX. Oh, they did that. I think so. Oh, it was wow. a five year deal. Really. I think so. I'm a well, it's, Interesting. A,
0: it's, it's crypto, but, uh, so it's almost like, name a number, who cares? Here it is. The uh, Miami Heat is
1: thrilled to announce it's entered into a long-term partnership, yeah, with FTX, a cryptocurrency exchange. Wow. There are,
0: there are 10 baseball stadiums without $135 rights.
1: million. Dollars. Whoa. I mean, that makes sense to me. Wait, well, what was that? The base, On,
0: there are 10 Major League Baseball venues with no naming rights deal, but they're the old ones that are, like, really famous. Nobody like cares about baseball. Yeah,
1: exactly. Rus- and Simmons were talking about it today. I don't even you know. How about this? I don't even know the guy's name. There is a player on the Angels okay. who is, like, the best home run hitter in the league. And he also— has He also— he, The starting Otani. pitcher.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm a sports fan. I don't even know this guy's name. He's B- Japanese wow. Babe Ruth. Like, yeah. ba- like baseball is cooked. This would have been such big, big, Duncan big news. Duncan
0: looks, looks triggered by this. 15
1: years ago. Why? No, I mean, yeah, he's been in the news a lot lately. You've, you've got to know if for- a— <laughs> You know the new Babe Ruth. No, I know he's in the news, but I'm saying well, like, I see the new Babe Ruth. Because I think he's, he's leading. A he's leading the league in home runs, I believe. 25 plus, and yeah, and yeah he's on pace for 60. I think. I so agree. I'm saying is if this really was this uh, would something have been like that. This would have been wow. like front headlines of like USA Today stuff,
0: no doubt. If young people cared about it, but nobody they, cares about baseball.
1: Though. It can't be saved. I don't could, think he'd be saved. Could
0: this guy make really? people care about it? Because I remember after the players' strike in '94, nobody cared about baseball, and then '98. Sosa and uh, McGuire. They
1: should allow steroids again and meth if necessary. (laughs) Like whatever they have to do.
0: Um, Wrigley doesn't take any corporate money. Wrigley Field is Wrigley Field. Yeah, I'm sure they've had offers of, I don't know, $100 million thrown at them every year. They don't do it. Um, Yankee Stadium, like I don't think. You don't need to do it. That brand is so strong. Yeah. I was going to say the Yankee business is bigger than most companies that would sponsor it. You got it. So, um, all right. Let's go into Soapbox. What's something you think everyone should be paying more attention to or less attention to? I just wanted to use this opportunity to say that Tenet is the worst movie that I've seen in a long time. But I wanted to see if either of you guys could explain it to me. This is the new-ish Christopher Nolan movie, and I feel really bad. It turns out Jason watched it just to try to explain it to me.
2: How'd it go? (laughs) It was tough, man. It was challenging. Um, subtitles it felt like a book
0: report. Subtitles? Well, I didn't do subtitles. You didn't need subtitles for this movie. I heard you needed subtitles. Why? <laughs>
1: Nobody was speaking another language. Just like Listen. the the I heard that it was it was hard to understand. It was
2: because it was it was like a play on the future and the past all at the same time. So I mean, the way I took it, I mean, typical. It wasn't obviously the typical action thriller. Yeah. Right. Um, the protagonist, uh, you know. It, I think there was some deeper meaning which I was trying to surf for. I think man I couldn't even find the undeep meaning, <laughs> forget about the deeper meaning. <laughs> uh, Go But um if I if I th- if I think about the kind of the play on the future and the play on the past and kind of the way the the movie ended. I think there was something about a deeper meaning for me on accountability for your actions. Okay? Like what you're doing and how is that impacting the future and the future of others,
0: right? Because that's the future what I felt is like
2: answering back in exactly. w- in that movie. Because dude, I love Back to the Future. Yeah, that was like one of my favorite movies, man. Same. As a kid, Same. you know,
1: and I'm like, you're a big
0: Back, you're a big Back to the Future guy, right? I have
1: to revisit it. I was as a kid. I haven't seen it in 20 years, probably more actually. Yeah. So why couldn't they just make that then? Yeah.
2: Why? <laughs> why do they have to do this? <laughs> but it was tough. But that that's that's my takeaway, man. It was just kind of like unaccountable With the cars driving
0: backwards? backwards. You like, I don't understand. They're coming back from
1: time. Well,
2: it's going back. Yeah, it
0: was, it was crazy. It was tough. It was, it was
2: tough. So it was tough. tough
1: Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors, but I boycotted this movie because all the reviews were exactly what you said. Like it's incomprehensible. And when it came out, you know what? I wanted to turn my brain off. I didn't want like homework during the pandemic. <laughs> so I've never seen this movie and I made a vow to myself. I never will. I will, probably, will. I will never I see it. really will. I don't really? think I'm going to. I have no interest. I really don't. Wow. Uh, right. It's unanimous. Like, nobody likes it.
0: Like, I like science fiction. Like, I will watch- X- I love science yeah. fiction.
1: I'm not like, watching this shit. And
0: I, I'll watch almost any action movie. I don't care how stupid it is. I've watched every Jason Statham movie. I don't care. <laughs> but I just, I couldn't get- I got through it, it but I don't know how I it got was through it. it. was All tough. It was tough, Michael Soapbox, what do you got?
1: Um. So I'm recycling my takes, so I apologize. But- I think this Substack thing is an interesting opportunity for young journalists. And what I mean by that is so Matthew Klein from Barron's left to start his own Substack. Chad Ford from the NBA, uh, I guess, well, I don't know where he was at. ESPN covers the draft, left to start his own Substack. I think that there's going to be an opportunity for young people inside of the Journal and Barron's and these companies to step in and fill the void of some of the established people leaving to start their own Substack.
0: Do the mm. economics though allow for there to be that many successful people doing like how many people would you pay a subscription to, to read their shit? I can't think of more than 10. Um, I read a lot. Same, but there are people
1: that are, that are going for it.
0: So how many are you paying for any Substacks now? I feel like I'm getting a lot for free. I'm not, I'm not paying for anything. Really. I'm not.
1: I'm still paying for the for uh, all the journalist stuff, but I'm not paying for any sub stacks.
0: Where's your when is your sub stack dropping
1: <laughs> Next week Dude, take take
0: my advice do WordPress if you're gonna start if you're gonna start writing. You want as many people reading you as possible. You don't want people reading you for a dollar a week or whatever. <laughs> um, all right I, I guess I love sub stack and I I follow like there are some that I follow that I just will never miss um shout out to packy but <laughs> by the way i never miss his i never miss mark rubenstein mm, uh i never m- miss uh burn hobart is awesome i don't know what who am i missing you probably read a lot more than i do
1: those are the yeah are
0: um, those the big three sure all right we'll 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 leave that as a recommendation jason do you have anything uh as a soapbox for us today i don't see it Dude. in the doc yeah man i mean for me uh, I was kind of just thinking about the markets
2: and what, what I, what I anticipate the second half looking like and what sectors I like. For me, I'm focused on consumer behavior. Mm. I'm really interested to see when this thing opens up for real, how does the consumer respond? They've had a lot of money, a lot of pent-up demand. That's all the discussion media, right? What are they going to do with the money, um, and how do they respond? What, what is, You're going to
0: subscribe to Substacks. Yeah, there you uh, go. Out the ass. <laughs> 50 sub stacks a person. <laughs> you bought five cars. You got the house. Where's the money going now? What's the next thing that everyone? going to What's with? the next thing? Isn't it obvious, though? What is it? I think travel. Besides that. I mean, that's, to me, that's... a big that's, deal. That is a big deal. I think people's travel budgets, what they would normally spend, are going to, like, double. I mean, they're going to have no choice, because yeah. I, I know what airline... Uh, uh, f- I know what flights cost these days, but... Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. I think that part's obvious. Yeah. So they go back to
1: football games... I don't know. I'm Dude, going probably. To, I'm going to football. Yeah. I don't even like going to football. I'm going to one game. Who's your what, team? A Giants, Giants game. Giants, Giants good. Well, Eli's being inducted into the Ring of Honor. I'm going to that game. I saw that. But go, f- football games suck. Suck. Not only it's do tough, they suck, man. but relative to the experience at home with Red Zone, yeah. it's so much better to watch Dude, football also, at Dude, also, yeah, yeah, the yeah.
0: Meadowlands, where, you have to park five miles away. It's a pain in the butt. It's it's one of the worst, I would say, NFL experiences is yeah. driving to New Jersey from Long Island. Where we live. Maybe it's not so bad if you live in Jersey. Not great, Bob. Not great. Uh, All right, favorites. So I actually have something nice to say after I just trashed uh, Tenet. Um, You guys ever see the site, Biopharma Dive? It's sick. This is how I get all my – I'm not – so people that follow me, they know that I don't claim any expertise about biotech or healthcare or pharmaceutical or any of that shit. But I love this site. I don't know when it started. It seems new-ish. It's like Axios, but like all, all healthcare stuff. So big recommendation, biopharmadive.com. Sign up for the daily email. And I think you learn something new every day about these stocks. Uh, pretty pretty good site. I don't know. Would, do you follow anything specific for uh, for this sector or not really? Not really, man. No. It's, nah. it's worth it. Yeah. Um. There were a record number of biotech IPOs in the first half of this year. I think like riding on the coattails of all the vaccines. Now, all of a sudden, there's a lot of institutional interest.
1: The last one on this for me, you see this thing on HBO Max, let him go. I saw it that it was on HBO Max. I did not watch it, which I'm not sure why I didn't watch it. I love Kevin Costner. We'll we'll
0: discuss. Go watch it. You see this yet? You like revenge movies? I do, man. Love revenge movies. I like the thrillers. All right. So this is a revenge movie. Really? Yeah, like they uh, check it they, out, man. they mess with Kevin Costner, and they don't know what they have coming to them. So it's mm. it's it's look at this score on uh, Rotten. T- I know you don't like Rotten. T- That's T- good. T- you T- are, T-
1: you watch Yellowstone? Yellowstone. I never watched it. Yet. Nah. Yeah, great show. Um, all right, I'll I'll uh I'll go sour. I went sour on Loki, or Loki went sour on me. This is favorites,
0: so you're unfavoriting Loki.
1: I'm unfavoriting it. Uh, <laughs> I want. there's only the good news is there's only six episodes, but so this is the third Marvel series that Disney's done on Disney Plus. I thought WandaVision was great, did not care for Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And Loki, I'm I was pretty bullish, but it's like a C minus for me. So I don't know. I might be jumping off. Mike's mm. watching
0: all these shows with your uh, seven-year-old son. So he's <laughs> uh i tried loki i watched two episodes it's terrible done see you later i like the i really like the actor what's that guy's name he's good he's always good in the in the movies uh all right jason what do you got dude
2: uh huge podcast fan Mm. we study billionaires my favorite it's a huge podcast love it love it dude um be honest with you man this whole bitcoin kind of scream over the last Several years, man. I took a master—well, I didn't take—I listened to a master class that they were doing. Phenomenal.
0: The, the Phenomenal. On We Study Billionaires? On oh, We Study Billionaires. Okay.
2: Phenomenal. It was like a month ago. Oh, man, dude. So shout out to them, man. They're doing a great job. They have fantastic guests, man. It's just great. You know, I it's just—
0: I don't think I've ever listened to an episode of that, but it's always like in the top three for investing in podcasts. Yeah. Right? It's or, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Duncan, have you listened to that yet? No. All right, no, I've, I've never heard it, but I've seen it on the charts. That's your homework yeah. assignment. Listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Tell okay. me if I should listen to it. <laughs> okay. Tell me if I should listen to it. All right. Uh, did you have fun today? Great, man. It was a blast, It's dude. like 500 degrees in here. <laughs> why, why is the door closed? Are people loud out there? Yeah, we got a full house here today. Yeah, we do. All right. Crew is uh, in town. Dude, thanks for, thanks for uh, coming by. We loved having you. Uh, I think we learned a lot about uh, what the Knicks should or shouldn't do. It sounds like we're in agreement do the thing for Dame. Even if it doesn't work out, nobody's going to be mad. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I want to plug idonshop.com. Those of you who are watching this on, you- on YouTube, you can see my lovely compound shirt. All that stuff is available, Animal Spirit stuff uh, as well. Watch us on YouTube if you're not currently subscribed. YouTube.com slash the compound R-W-M. If you love podcasts, remember, there's a new episode of Animal Spirits coming out this week as well. Uh, and the gold mine where we take our favorite blog posts and create the audio version. You can check out either of those podcasts. Thanks to Jason. Round of applause. I
2: appreciate I'm you guys. I'm supposed to man. have a,
0: a sound effect for a round of applause. I'll have that next. Jason, I'll have that next time you come, I promise. Uh, all right, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next Friday.
1: Is that clapping?
0: Oh, there yeah. it goes. Good job, Duncan. Well done, Duncan. All right. Whoa. So that was a good dress rehearsal.
2: Yes sir. Gonna take
0: a quick break, It's Thanks again to our sponsor, Masterworks. Go to masterworks.io slash compound for more information.